Bretto, this is the week to get your tickets to the Wellness Summit. Why is that MP? Because Bretto, one lucky person who registers before this Sunday, July 28, will win the ultimate wellness experience. Imagine two nights in the Wellness Real Estate epicenter of Australia, Lucent Gasworks in Brisbane. The lucky winner receives return airfares to Brisbane on Virgin Australia. Plus, we'll organise you an Uber from Brisbane Airport to Lucent and back again. And we'll throw in 200 bucks in dining vouchers. And you can get an all-access, all-areas pass to Total Fusion, one of the best fitness studios in the country and the home of the largest Himalayan salt lamp in the Southern Hemisphere. Oh, positive ions going everywhere, Bretto. This incredible prize valued at over $2,000. Jeepers. All you need to do is register for the Wellness Summit by this Sunday, July 28. You're registering for 16 hours of powerhouse wellness over two days, August 17 and 18 in Melbourne, featuring your favourite Wellness Couch podcasters and world-class exhibitors. Can you afford to miss the biggest Wellness Summit ever? Tickets at thewellnesssummit.com. The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their healthy kitchen oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness and optimising your health, metabolism and longevity. While you're tuning in to today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 234 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Katie Pettuccini from Holistic Endurance to firstly share her very exciting personal news. We then explore hormones and the menstrual cycle and how you can use any monthly symptoms to your advantage to discover the underlying imbalance and create a long-term solution rather than suppressing your symptoms with a pill. We discuss the oral contraceptive pill, amenorrhea, preconception care, macronutrient balance during pregnancy, and how both men and women can create the optimal foundation for their future child. Hi, Katie, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Steph. It's been a while. I am excited. 
I know, me too. And I've obviously been one of the lucky ones to already know your very exciting news, but I would love for you to share with our listeners what your, yeah, really exciting news is. Yeah, I'm also going to be a mama. I'm having a baby due in January 2020. Oh my goodness. So exciting. I'm absolutely loving just being able to, yeah, follow your journey already. And yeah, look forward to hearing about your experience so far. So we obviously wanted to record this podcast for lots of little topics that are significant that ties together the that hormonal conversation, which you love sharing about and leading up to preconception care, pregnancy and beyond. So let's talk about, you know, I guess why you're so passionate about this topic and how early it starts from that hormonal care. Yeah, it's interesting because I certainly didn't envisage that I would be someone <clears throat> consulting with women wanting to get pregnant or that that helping them through pregnancy or after or perhaps through infertility. I think through writing Healing the Grumpy Athlete and coaching athletes based on uh, respecting their hormones for optimal performance, it naturally just happened that I fell into this world of, of fertility for athletes. Um, and just to clarify, as we always do, that an athlete is all of you, uh, anyone that is involved in recreational activity. And what why it became a passion was because I saw so many women having um, hormonal imbalance issues as well as fertility issues or postpartum difficulty coming back to performance. So that's where the passion comes into it. And this isn't just a conversation for the women because I do see this with male athletes as well. While it might not be as prevalent or as significant, it is still something important for male athletes to pay attention to. And so for me, where it starts is when we've got our youth athletes and now youth development programs that are making their way up in sport and endurance and their training load is increasing, their stress demand at school is increasing while they're going through the biggest change of their life. And I feel like if we don't look after our teenage athletes, that's where the trouble begins way back then. Um, And then there's a flow and effect that happens uh, in the 20s and, and 30s as well. Uh, or it might start in their 20s. There's lots of different stages at which um, it can be a problem in terms of hormone imbalance um, and fertility. But if we want to minimise risks and, and problems down the track, then it has to start with our teenage athletes for sure. Yeah, that's exactly right. And as you know, and we've discussed before, unfortunately, it's not a conversation that we necessarily have in great detail in our teenage years. Like it should be a really important part of what we learn at say um, secondary school or whether you know in that athletic environment that it's spoken about to Mm -hmm. those athletes and it's a huge missing piece of the puzzle that you're obviously you know doing an amazing job at, at changing but it does start at grassroots level because unfortunately you know fixing a hormonal issue when you want to fall pregnant is often years of an imbalance that has gotten a lot worse because it wasn't addressed early. And that can be really hard for women in their late 20s or 30s um, and 
also really challenging to find out that something could have been done a lot sooner. Yeah, I think to avoid that emotional roller coaster and how hard that is, and I've seen so many people go through this, um, that early intervention is key. And I think if we can change the language around periods and hormones to be everyday conversation, um, particularly for those athletes in their youth, uh, to help them see that a period isn't a bad thing to be scared of or to um, to not want and to see the, the value in it and the information that it can provide a female body um, and a coach and their parents and everyone in their team. Um, so. If we can have the conversations early and rewire the relationship between what is a period and what does it mean, especially in performance, I feel like traditionally it's had this negative connotation. But physiologically, it doesn't actually have to be that way. And I think um, from a even governing body point of view with sporting organisations, if they look at participation rates, there's often this major dropout depending on menstrual age. So often athletes will have delayed first period um, into they might be 17 or 18 when they have the first period and they uh, experience this performance dip because it's such a rapid change um, and it's quite significant. And that can either lead to them dropping out of the sport altogether or having a really tough few years when it doesn't need to be tough and they've got this expectation that that's when they should be at their peak and they're transitioning into state teams or in, um, going further in sport. So I think there's so many different levels of this conversation. And obviously as a 15-year-old, we're not necessarily having a, do you want to have a baby conversation? You know, it's the opposite. Um, we're trying to prevent that. But really for our 30-year-old plus selves and late 20s, that's where the conversation's got to start. Yeah, I agree. And it's not just about making babies, obviously, because that's, as you say, the, the least of their priorities, but setting up those foundations to understand your hormonal cycle, um, you know, looking at potential imbalances that be, could be causing any of the symptoms that you might otherwise be told um, are normal. I think that's a really mm. important myth for us to break down because, you know, nearly everybody would associate a period with sort of some sort of premenstrual syndrome or, or PMS or abnormal symptoms essentially. And whilst you feel very different in that second half of your cycle, you sh still should be able to use those symptoms as information as to what your body's doing and what your hormones um, are doing and any imbalance that needs to be addressed. I mean, a lot of the time this drop-off in participation could certainly be supported and we could see those rates decreased if we're educating our female athletes on their hormones and helping them rebalance if that is part of the reason why they're dropping out because of the way they're feeling or the symptoms that they experience month in, month out. Yeah, and it can be really frustrating when you don't have that information and you just feel crappy but you don't know why and perhaps there's been this cultural norm that it's just the way you're meant to feel and so then a Band-Aid gets whacked on it in some kind of prescription and namely it's usually the pill when the pill can be avoided and it's um, they're, they're using it for the wrong reasons perhaps. So they might go to the pill to um, Band-Aid a bunch of hormonal symptoms when 
uh, really, if the pills to be used in teenage years, it's for um, preventing conception. Yeah, well, the band-aid is... If that at all, yeah. Mm, yeah. The band-aid, yeah. I think that's that's ignoring the symptoms that your body is showing you of an underlying situation that, that usually can be addressed, that mm. um, the pill obviously, as we know, completely hijacks the normal hormonal cycle and, and can have some pretty damaging long-term implications. So it really shouldn't be, it shouldn't be our first point of call. No, absolutely not. And then um, I guess second to the youth, I see um, women in their 20s who've gone through or are going through amenorrhea, so loss of menstrual cycle, and that might be for six months. It might be for eight or more years, which is quite significant. And, again, I worry that it gets celebrated sometimes, like, oh, yeah, I don't have my period. It's fantastic. <laughs> I, have to, I get to avoid that inconvenience and I think we have to change that language. It's not a great thing um, to be missing your period. It's, it, it's pivotal to the female reproductive system. Even if you're not trying to get pregnant or you don't um, plan on having kids in the future, it's vital to your health function, brain function, physical function, weight management, um, and then later down the track how you experience perimenopause and menopause. Like it's all related to these foundations that we that we lay early on. Um, and so even if, if you are a female athlete listening to this and you're experiencing amenorrhea or loss of cycle, please um, reach out and take action as soon as possible, even if you're not trying to conceive or that's not part of your future anytime soon. It's really important for your overall health. Um, to get on top of that soon rather than later. And um, in terms of recovery, it can be shorter when you uh, address it sooner. Yeah, definitely. And and don't you think that usually the people that are excited about not having a period are the ones that are experiencing more of the symptoms that they find inconvenient or painful or that it affects their performance or their mood and mental health. And again, they're, they're signals that it can be addressed. I mean, I know it can be challenging to have to experience that in the initial phases, but using that information can be so powerful to address the entire picture of that underlying hormonal imbalance and to bring your cycle back online, which includes regulating those typical symptoms. Yeah, and just thinking about it now, I've never met or consulted with anyone that's regretted taking action on these sorts of things and gone, oh, I wish I didn't do that. I mean, I've said this before, I had amenorrhea for a number of years and I know that every single doctor I went and saw literally were, the answer was, oh, don't worry about it, you can deal with it later, like when you want to have a family. And I was just so confused that no, no one was available to help me um, appreciate the significance of not having a period. Um, this is you know decades ago now, but um, another reason why I love to educate on this with, with you, Katie, because... We need to change that conversation. We need to understand that it's not a problem that you deal with when you want to have a baby. It, you, yeah. you need to address it ASAP, which, as you say, then changes the whole timeline if you want, do want to conceive and have a family down the track. Yeah, that's it. And I was fortunate, even though um, many of the listeners have probably heard my story a number of times on your podcast in terms of um, adrenal dysfunction and going through extreme burnout um, and hormone, hormonal imbalance over the years, um, which is what's led me on my journey. So I'm grateful for all that difficulty that I went through because I wouldn't know what I know now. But I was fortunate that I only experienced a loss of period for about three months uh, in one of my first years of long course training. However, the other symptoms that I experienced were extreme. So 
uh, also to preface that hormone imbalance and things that can inhibit performance or fertility or wellness uh, can show up in many different ways. Uh, so even for me, who had a regular menstrual cycle and all looked good, it didn't mean that I was uber fertile and, and got like pregnant in the first month. The body doesn't work that way. Um, we do need to go through a period of um, preconception care like you've done. One for vitality during pregnancy, but the health of our baby as well. And I think you've opened up that conversation but and many others have, but it's not a common conversation, I would say. Absolutely not. I think the, the common scenario is finding out you're pregnant eventually going to see a doctor and being told you need to take folate and that you need to avoid raw fish and the, mm. the, the list that, you know, we can easily Google online that also has is involved that we can chat about. But, um, yeah, like I think it's such an important decision that in an ideal world you can create a timeline with at least three months to acknowledge that in this day and age we're exposed to lots of toxins and chemicals. You know, the, the quality of the food that we eat is impacted by big food and the folate that we're naturally available to consume in as simple as our dark leafy greens isn't always enough. You know, then there's the whole gut health impact, especially for those that have taken the pill or a different version of contraception, which is going to interrupt your microbiome. Understanding that as the mother, you pass it on to the baby. Like I'm just so passionate about that because we see the implications of those that haven't addressed the preconception care or acknowledge the significance of their gut health in that pre and during um, during the pregnancy, the the repercussions of that uh, can, can be quite horrible um, to experience when you've got a newborn and you're adjusting to, to mum life. Mm. Um, that's something that I think we can largely avoid as well. Yeah, and um, I can speak to, I guess, my own gut health journey because that was something that I knew I needed to work on and had been working on for many of years and working with real food and gut protocols but I had one of those very stubborn guts that wasn't um, responding super well to protocols um, typical Katie it's just the complicated case <laughs> and uh, it was taking a number of years um, and I had to step away from having the perfect gut it was like okay well if I compare it to my gut five years ago or gut three years ago I'm in a much better state to um conceive uh if because I had done so many protocols and wasn't getting much change in that stubbornness I was like I just have to go with kind of like the Pareto principle I couldn't aim for that 100% perfection with my gut because it just wasn't shifting and I had to accept that okay, there's a, a slight overgrowth um, of the Klebsiella bacteria and that's not ideal, but I had to go in knowing and accepting that that would probably alter how I felt in pregnancy. And so that was just a conscious decision, um, knowing that I probably might have more morning sickness or um, other symptoms for pregnancy than someone who didn't have Klebsiella overgrowth, for example. Um, but I made sure I didn't have any parasites and had a really good growth of lactobacillus and bifido and a really good balance there. And so I think a, a gut protocol, number one, hands down, I just think from my perspective, I couldn't quite get it optimal. 
um, but way better than what it was. Yeah, and what is optimal? I don't actually even think we know that yet from a microbiome science point of view. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, to celebrate your journey, the the years that you didn't mm-hmm. just decide three months out that you're going to try and fix your gut, which let me tell no. you is impossible unless you're dealing with very, very mild, um, if minimal, dysbiosis. I think it is. Like, it's a, it's a journey and we know in clinic that it takes at least six months to see that sort of first phase of the basic foundational changes like regrowing a, an entire colony, um, but mm. it can take longer than that. So uh, I think for all of us, acknowledging that all health starts in the gut and that it, it should be on your radar to start early enough so that if it does take longer, you know, you're not pushing out your entire family planning timeline because I've had that, you know, in the clinic we've had clients that have got parasites or they've got, you know, quite a significant pathogenic overgrowth and the main stress from, comes from the fact that they wanted to be pregnant last month or last mm-hmm. year and that we've had to, you know, they've decided to push out their timeline, um, which I think is a good thing, but that can cause a lot of stress when you've planned, you know, all the things that you have to do to line up the, the 10 months of pregnancy and the, the fourth trimester and what, return to work looks like and and so on and so forth yeah no there's such important decisions um and I think where I made sure that I guess I embodied that patience was to link all the benefits it's like okay yes there's going to be this amazing bacteria and it's going to help how I feel in pregnancy it's going to help um my future child but also it's going to give me foundations for better mental health as we've spoken about so connected to the gut so postpartum that was always my biggest concern having experienced mental health issues for 15 plus years it was like how do I build the best possible foundation because I'm already going to be vulnerable um, potentially postpartum. Um, I've got that preconceived um, vulnerability. How do I minimise that risk as much as possible? So that was an important part for me. Um, Things like I've seen how long it takes to build up something simple like zinc. Um, and it's not as simple as just taking a supplement for three months. You know, that's where the gut comes into it. We build the zinc for the immunity, and then you've got the whole methylation patterns working properly. That That's taken me years to gain, and I'm glad that I guess I wasn't in a rush in terms of I didn't have a uh, fertility timeline because I don't think I could have handled that pressure personally on myself if I had five years ago wanted to have a child and it had taken me five years to get here that is hard and I've had plenty of people and friends go through that and it does happen. And so I think if we can think 12 months ahead of preconception, then if something does come up, a parasite or gut dysbiosis or um, macronutrient, micronutrient um, deficiencies, you've got time to correct it without the additional pressure because I think a facility journey alone can be a little bit stressful um, depending on what, what framework you're coming from yeah and and stress is is the number one mm-hmm. um, barrier to conception yeah because if you're in that state of fight fight or freeze like it's just your body's not going to be that candidate to conceive and to procreate so that's the irony unfortunately we have to try and remove as much stress as possible including things like caffeine and alcohol which is why they would that would go into a of a, a cleanse a preconception program protocol because these stresses are, are the barriers and that can be the big reason. Like I was having a conversation with my acupuncturist uh, last week and 
um, we were talking about some clients that we share that are going through a fertility journey and long story short, like one had worked with a different practitioner that had prescribed lots of herbs and, you know, millions of supplements, but not gone through like her addiction to caffeine and how much Mm -hmm. alcohol she was drinking. And as soon as she cut out caffeine and alcohol, she fell pregnant. Now it's not simple in every case, don't get me wrong, but some of those real foundational changes are completely missed in Mm -hmm. the Western model of, of, um, fertility yeah and you bring up another good point there that's reminded me that there's this idea that once you get pregnant you start taking the the prenatal vitamin you know that starts well before that um and boosting it in um the folate content in your foods and so forth um i find that gets missed a bit and all all the time absolutely Mm. all the time and and uh like i said saying earlier you go to the doctors and you're probably eight to 12 weeks pregnant anyway Mm, Um, obviously the first trimester is where the the neural tube and the spinal cord are developing rapidly so we need that high quality folate to support that process so being prescribed fefol when you're 12 weeks pregnant is is not ideal a it's the wrong type of folate it's extremely synthetic and not bioavailable and and b like it should have been done six months earlier so three months before pregnancy at the very least yeah i think that's such an important thing for people to know and um i knew that i didn't want to cut out uh caffeine and alcohol all at once i knew i needed to do them both really gradually when i'd previously tried to um cut down on caffeine the impact on methylation so mood and energy was very significant and disruptive to my day-to-day work and study habits um so for me i needed to do them very gradually so i didn't want again i didn't want a time pressure so i did it over six months um and i was only one coffee a day (laughs) like i'm not coming from three or four um super sensitive katie and yeah went down to decaf and got rid of the wine and the whiskey which is unfortunate i loved an occasional whiskey <laughs> yeah but i mean um, look, you have to for 10 months and beyond anyway so exactly you know, got, may as well get ready for it yeah although i had a lot of friends tell me i was crazy because they obviously like some friend, friends of mine that are already mothers that thought i was crazy putting it out sort of quote unquote three months earlier than i had to yes. um, obviously walked through the 10 months without and the juggle with nursing on the other side but um yeah, again, it's a toxin and we've got so many of those that we're up against in this day and age. So it was really important for me to do that. And I, I love the, the point that you make around gradual because as I always say, Rome wasn't built in a day and you've got to understand, I would start with, you know, what the biggest, uh, I guess, most influential factor is. So if you're not doing gut health, start there and, and deal with the one mm. a little bit later on and, and build that protocol, which is why working with someone like yourself or the natural nutritionist can be really helpful because we guide you through the step-by-step of what, what the first priority is and, and layer that rather than you feeling like you've got to do all yesterday, which is, again, a stressor that we want to avoid. Yeah, I couldn't do this journey on my own and I've got the knowledge that I have. I know we mm. all need a team of practitioners for sure. Yeah, I'm with you. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Um, so preconception care, that's awesome um, and something that we've spoken about before. So just before I forget, I will link up that, that episode um, where I shared roughly my pregnancy journey and I'm definitely happy to share more. But did you want to add anything else there on um, preconception or do you want to go back and talk about the pill a little bit more and the impact on hormones and, and the gut microbiome? Yeah, we can do both for sure. Mm. Um, I think for me 
coming from the foundations that I had, like eating real food, uh, regular mindfulness practices, living a low-tox life, um, utilising math principles, or 80-20, you know, polarised approach in training. I, for years now, I've had all these amazing wellness bases. And so I think the only thing, the hardest lesson for me to learn through uh, fertility journey of getting pregnant was that that wasn't a silver bullet. That didn't mean that it was just going to happen for me when I wanted it to. <laughs> Typically I type perfectionist, high achiever, triathlete, of course. Um, and But I now see I needed to go through that journey because I needed to learn that surrender to the uncontrollable yeah. and um, the timing was never going to be perfect. Exactly. It was never going to be perfect. And so while it was confronting and confusing and worrisome that it wasn't happening, even though my health was great, my periods were great and everything was tick, 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 I, I was a bit perplexed for a while, but now I see that it just needed to happen when it happened. Um, Ironically, we had said um, ideally I wouldn't be, you know, only two weeks pregnant when husband and athlete was doing Ultraman that I needed to run around after him for three days. But, of course, I was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think for anyone on this journey, if you can take a a lesson away from that, is even if you do everything right, um, it's not a a magic bullet, I guess. Um, We need to do everything that's in our power but also trust and surrender to whatever that might be in store for us. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's complicated because we've all got our own health journey and, and it's not just as simple as, not for everybody, it's not just as simple as um, ticking those boxes. I think, you know, the, the timing of it is, is, yeah, very individual. So, again, I think that's why starting early takes away any of that um, time pressure and also I guess for, you, for the individual, for the mother-to-be, acknowledging the the role that you're about to start like I think that's Mm. what's really important um from the other side Grace is now um four months old like there's just there's still I know (laughs) I can't believe it she's like twice the size um but you know there's it it doesn't it doesn't end right you've constantly Mm. got this responsibility to look after yourself for somebody else and I think learning that early is is really really helpful because I shared with you offline, I've got a couple of people that have been sort of following my journey with Grace and um, tuning into the show and um, they're maybe not having the same experience as I am with how well Grace is and how well she's feeding and, and how well we're working together. Um, and they're unfortunately realising that they didn't do enough during pregnancy or that there was antibiotics in there for whatever reason and they're now having to reverse engineer things. And, and that's okay if that's your, that, that's your journey that's absolutely fine. That's where you're at. At least these people acknowledge that there is things that they can do now, mm-hmm. but you, you sort of want to avoid that if, if possible, like even speaking to the postnatal depression, like that's one in two, the stats are huge, but what if we just simply acknowledge the role that the gut plays? Yeah. That the communication of the gut to the brain via the vagus nerve and the impact that this dysbiosis has on our brain health. Like I know there's more to the picture, but if we're not looking after our gut, then of course we are unfortunately going to be higher candidate for something like PND or maybe it's mastitis, which is obviously going to affect mum and bub. And many of this could be avoidable if we um, acknowledge our role 
preconception, pregnancy and beyond. Yeah, or easier to manage if it does come up. If, it, if you've got the tools and, and a good foundation there and a team of practitioners that already um, know your your case and your history. goes a yeah, long so way. Think about the pill. Like nearly everyone's been prescribed the pill, whether it was as a teenage teenager for um, contraception or whether it was to mitigate some of the PMS symptoms. Like we know that the oral contraceptive pill completely disrupts the microbiome. And mm-hmm. so stopping the pill because you want to get pregnant it, it means that you've got work to do to figure yeah. out, to rebalance the beneficial bacteria um, to hopefully um, crowd out some of that opportunistic bacteria that have taken over. Um, so we've got to acknowledge that it's not just about stopping the pill and that your hormones come back online. That can take time, yeah? What's your experience there post-pill? Oh, goodness. Uh, it's probably the most common case that I see coming onto my books and people into my inbox um, is post-pill, hormones disarray, performance disarray, and that's not to mean you should go back on the pill. It just means the pill was covering up all these things going on um, that now need to be addressed. And, yes, I would try and avoid getting pregnant straight away. Um, after coming off the pill because of the gut disruption, but also the hormonal disruption Mm. Um, because your body needs to learn how to make those hormones at a particular level in a particular cycle um, on their own again. You know, they've been um, disengaged by synthetic hormones for however long. And technically what I said earlier in terms of not having a period only for three months is a lie because I was on the pill from, you know, age 14 to something, 20 early 20s um and and that's not a period you know that's a withdrawal bleed and so there's no doubt that the gut problems i had in my teens and early 20s was related to going on the pill at such a young age for acne and (laughs) why did i need the why did i have acne as a 13 year old probably because of my gut not probably because of my gut Um, which is the irony yeah Mm. irony and so if we you know like this is more than half my life ago, uh, Mm. rewind back, that's where it began. And that's where parents and and teenagers can intervene and change the rest of their life. And then for for you and I with our babies, um, we can start their foundations to minimise gut health problems. Um, And I I don't know if you've touched on this, I'm sure you have, but um, that each generation we're passing on our gut health And so with generations being exposed to more toxins and pathogens, Mm -hmm. uh, each generation is getting worse unless they're doing this preconception work. And that's why we're seeing an increase in mental health disorders, behavioural disorders, skin disorders, allergies, and and the list list goes on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's the other thing I think of, like I discussed this with you, Katie, about how grateful I am for my knowledge for Grace. So not only with the foundations I've set up for her, you know, pre, during and now while, while we're nursing, but beyond. So what I can teach her beyond. And I, I, didn't, I didn't have that as mm. um, a child. My mum's not a nutritionist, so that's very different. But you also don't need to be a nutritionist. It's the work that you do now to, you know, to learn the foundations, to be able to pass on to the next generation. And I think that what's so powerful because we've seen in the, the the low fat era how much damage we've done just as top level as needing fats for healthy hormones you know we've really caused a lot of dysregulation and we're now on the other side of that 
and we can make such a big difference moving forward. And I think it's important to educate yourself so that you can change the health of your family. And we see that so much in, in the clinic and I find it so inspiring when the mum or dad or both just completely overhaul things to help their children. Um, and doing that from, from day zero I think is so powerful. Yeah, you're right. You don't have to be a nutritionist. Um, you just need a good recipe book under, under your belt and you'll be fine. Uh, my niece, she's nearly two. She knows no different other than mm. eggs and, and cheese for breakfast. Um, she hasn't been exposed to cereal. Like that's not breakfast to her, um, which I think is so interesting um, because I, I don't think I would have been able to say that at age five. It's like cereal is breakfast. <laughs> Well, I always I can literally still taste the milk that sits in the bottom no. of the nutrient and how sweet it is. I would not have touched that for like, oh, I don't even know, 25 years or something. And, yeah, what we thought was healthy back in the um, 90s. And I think, yeah, like how great is it that we're finally being um, able to change that, to change the previous generation and the problems that are associated with the consumption of refined carbohydrates and sugars because that's a reality that we're facing in 2019. Yeah, it's it's a big problem. Um, uh, it's it's actually a little bit overwhelming to think about, like the the cascade effect um, of these health repercussions and culturally the changes. Full on. Another example I was thinking about that I wanted to raise mm. was um, a conversation that we had recently at um, the Natural Nutritionist about a client who um, had an appointment to see us and then cancelled it with um the idea of sort of coming back to see us when she wanted to lose the baby weight and yeah. I, I, didn't, I don't want to point out this client but i just want to talk about the concept of that seeing a nutritionist is not just about losing weight of course we can help you with that outside of a pregnancy journey that's a separate conversation but you know i think pregnancy nutrition is way more than just avoiding raw fish and salad oh. bars you know some of the information online is flawed and I do want to speak to that, but having a nutritionist or a coach or a holistic practitioner to help you navigate each trimester and how different they look, including trimester four and beyond, like for me, that's so important and something that I really want people to be aware of because seeing your doctor and having that PDF of what to avoid I find disempowering. I I hate the do not eat this conversation. Of Mm. course, there are things we need to be mindful of, but what about what do we increase Mm. and and how to manage cravings? I mean, you know, I'm a low carb nutritionist, but I was eating, you know, more potatoes and and more white rice and more sweet potato and a little bit more of my favorite GF precinct bread. So, uh, you know, I know what it's like firsthand to not feel like your usual food, but to be on that tightrope between how do I do my best to feed me and bub and some of the stress that might come with that and having guide you through those changes as well as your increasing appetite for some or calorie requirements in T2 and T3. Like having someone to help you with that I think is so powerful because you don't need to do it alone and you can get rid of the confusion and stress if you've got someone on your team. Oh, couldn't agree more. Like I, even psychologically coming from being a, a low-carb, high-fat eater, um, it was challenging to completely change very rapidly within the space of a week because it's what I needed. Like my, I didn't feel well unless I had more carbohydrates. And psychologically, I was like, crap, that's a lot on my plate. Like, <laughs> is this real? Is this right? You know, even though intuitively I knew, it was still this battle, as you described, on the tightrope of how much 
is enough or how much is too much um, without getting too worried about it and couldn't do that without support for sure. Um, And also changing from being a two to three mealer a day to closer to five and eating frequently, that was also a really big psychological shift and um, you're stepping into the unknown. I mean, LCHF is... um, I guess relatively new if we speak about the decades of nutrition advice that's been going on, mm-hmm. it's new. So to transition from having been LCHF for how many years to um, embracing high uh, carbs again, it was challenging and uh, that definitely requires some um, professional support. Yeah, and I mean high, high relative to what you were doing. Which oh, is yeah. So <laughs> this is true this is true it's because all about I our just, perception yeah but I always just keep in mind and this is what I teach my clients like it's a sliding scale yeah your LCHF can be 150 grams of carbs a day and provided you're mostly getting it from these whole food sources like you know plants and and um pseudo grains that are of high quality like a buckwheat mm. um then it's not a problem provided you're doing your best like I can hands on heart say that I did not consume six cups of vegetables a day every day during my pregnancy. And I'm okay with that. But when I share that with my clients, my um, fertility clients, they, they, they're quite shocked. Mm. They're quite shocked um, that I wasn't quote unquote perfect. During, <laughs> why I share this because yeah. I, I can now, I can, I guess I've got that firsthand experience of acknowledging there are so many hormonal changes, um, you know, trisemester changes and getting, getting rid of the stress and the, the perfectionism problem is a huge part of it. And just knowing that you, you do your best, um, but you probably are going to be slightly higher carbohydrate and especially towards the end of the pregnancy, if not sooner, smaller meals will suit you, but you don't want to sacrifice blood sugar control yeah. and therefore frequently. It's very different if like for me, my meals were much smaller because I was carrying so high and my stomach volume was impacted for the whole pregnancy and most significantly in T3, of course, when Bubs is much bigger. Mm. So just adjusting but sort of understanding it through a different lens that you're still very low carb um, and you do your best to get the veggies and proteins and healthy fats and make quality carbohydrate choices like the sweet potato or the potato or the white rice and doing your resistant starch where possible. Yeah, that's it. And then to clarify, and that's the thing, I, I, I text you because I was being so hard on myself mm. and I'm like, in reality, I'm eating potato, um, gluten-free precinct, buckwheat bread, I'm having buckwheat pancakes. And even though it was different and a shift, um, you know, I'm perceiving it as like this quote-unquote problem um, when it really wasn't And because it's, it's still real, real food and it has a lot of nutrients in it. And it, it, it's at the end of the day, it's what made me feel better. <laughs> made me stop no, feeling I, like I was going to vomit all day. So I was like, well, obviously this is working. Yeah, especially in trimester one, if you are experiencing more morning sickness, like that wasn't my reality, but it was more about um, being able to strip back some of our ideals about food and and what is quote unquote perfect. Um, And I said to you, like, I'd give myself a high five if I had two meals a day, um, whereas most often it was one that didn't include a sort of a serve of complex carbohydrate. So what I teach my clients is, to look at, all right, so if you want to have the buckwheat um, 
GF precinct bread and make sure you're obviously having eggs and avocado and some spinach to balance out the plate, then why don't you have some leftovers for lunch that are lower carbohydrate, like use your cauliflower rice with your leftover satay. Um, and just have a little bit of foresight around what each meal looks like because you don't want to do GF precinct, rice, and then get to dinner and have quinoa to then have limited your intake of veggies and protein. Yeah, because the reality is if you're filling up on these complex carbs, there's less of our other macros on the plate. So it's that it's that awareness to where the most nutrient dense foods are. And so maybe one meal a day is a really great goal for you. Everyone's different and of course you'll feel different again over the four trimesters. Um but work with that. Work with that concept of acknowledging that if you are going to have one serve that at least one of your main meals you might want to focus on more veggies is a really great way to get the quota of non-starchy veggies up paired with your serve of quality protein and of course your healthy fats your omega-3s and small amounts of saturated fats from your coconut oil or um, grass-fed butter for example yeah i would have been in in strife if i wasn't having those um, omega-3 fatty acids particularly for Mm. mood and there's so many hormonal changes um uh, and then, uh, you know, the cravings and the carbohydrate intake would have been even greater. So that was definitely crucial. And I think a shout out to the partners as someone that, um, by the way, morning sickness isn't a thing. It's an all day sickness thing. <laughs> um, if that's you, uh, I personally couldn't have done this first trimester without an amazing husband who cooked for me frequently and put all those veggies in front of me. Um, when I just felt like rubbish and didn't want to get off the couch and eating was quite a big task. So, you know, partners, that's where you can, you can step in and make sure that those veggies are getting on the plate and the, and the fats and the proteins. And you know, this is a, this is a, a, a couple's conversation for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I've barely cooked a meal even now. And as I said, Grace is four months. So we're even out of T4 trimester four. Um, Ian's, always done most of the cooking anyway but just having that the preparation like we talk about it all the time food prep but for me that is still so essential because you're not going to have time to to make a healthy lunch if you've got a little one needing you um and your time is it's hijacked that's a reality of it it's really really different i'm not saying that in a negative sense it's just that you've got someone else to look after now and for me even something as simple as having that frittata made up on a sunday that i can you know Eat mindfully, mm. grab. <laughs> um, adds a quick, you know, a quick plate of greens too. That that is everything because then I'm making. That's my choice. I'm not having toast and avocado, which I could easily default to because it's ready in five. But then I'm missing the veggies, and it's not the best for blood sugar control. Again, so I think there the conversation is so important. And before, like as I was um, in T3, so the last trimester of pregnancy, we were stocking up the freezer. So it was so awesome when Grace was newly with us to just reheat something that was in the freezer, to not have to cook. I still love that. It's always been so important to me to take the pressure off because who wants to be cooking at 8 o'clock at night when you finally got the bump to go to sleep? Like it's Mm. just removing that stress again can be so helpful. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think... um yeah, that's why it was, you know, if your partner is going through pregnancy um, or their early pregnancy and sick and even though if they're, if they're saying, no, I don't want to eat vegetables, just mm. put them in front of them and, and give it a crack or 
um, like kids hide the veggies in a frittata or something yummy. <laughs> when in doubt, soup. I'm when in doubt, I yes. have soup with paleo bread. <laughs> Absolutely. Just um, get your bread fixed, but you get all of your veggies. <laughs> and then uh, the other thing I've done to reframe being kind to myself is some days were harder than others. So some days mm. it just wasn't going to happen. So if it's like this one day out of seven where there was one serve of veggies, um, whereas the rest, if I could nail it, then great. Um, so pick your battles on, on the good days. It's like now is when I need to optimise getting everything in um, and on the bad days being just a little bit more kind. I love that. And this also goes back to the supplement that we take. So I don't prescribe a straight folate, whether it's active or not. I mm. prescribe a multi-mineral that's pregnancy and breastfeeding designed because the, the reality is that some days you won't be getting enough nutrition from your food you're not yeah. getting your six cups of veggies a day and there are still days now where i'm not doing that so i've continued to take my what what would otherwise be called a prenatal but it's for that that nursing support as well because you're still rebuilding from pregnancy and having to share your stores with bubs and the demands of feeding every couple of hours um i have i stopped for a couple of weeks and i noticed a distinct difference in, yeah. in just basic energy levels um so that's something I think is really powerful when we look at how supplements, the right supplement can support this journey. It's not just about fee-fold. Yeah, actually, it just reminded me of something that I probably would have done differently if I had the foresight. Um, we went overseas just after Ultraman, so I'm three weeks pregnant, depending on what date you go off. Um, and it was very hard to source um, high-volume uh, folate-rich foods and veggies. Um, in hindsight, I wish I had like a green supplement with me and could have done it that way because at the time, um, my prenatal supplements were making me very ill. Mm. So it was this really fine juggling act of, okay, I choose to take this prenatal today and be really sick. Um, and then the other day I was like, no, I can't, I just can't do it. And we're trying to get in as many greens as possible. So I think that's something I wish I'd known to grab before I went away or overseas. So anyone that's traveling, that can be a, a hot tip. Um, definitely yeah. traveling and even now i still use i love melrose essential greens i still use that every day whether it's in a smoothie or mixed in with my magnesium powder just as an insurance policy that i know that um how important it is how i mean yeah. we can't ignore the benefit of greens so do that and especially mm. during pregnancy if your volume of vegetables is down then have a plan b like have a backup plan that's so easy to do they're, they're like 20 bucks for a month's supply worth their weight in gold and really, really easy to incorporate into your daily strategy. Boom, boom. <laughs> Love it. So cool. Um, so anything else you wanted to share? Like we've discussed some really, really key points and I'm sure there's some amazing takeaways for our listeners, but anything else you want to share even about what you're up to um, work-wise or anything else that you can give us a sneak peek of? Yeah, sure. I mean, the only thing on this topic that um, comes to mind to touch on is that for anyone, you know, in this endurance world that's doing the high-volume training um, and is experiencing hormone imbalance, whether you want to get pregnant or not, um, mm. please know that a regular menstrual cycle is your best report card of health. Uh, so if there are symptoms or irregularities, please reach out, get on top of it as soon as possible because you don't know what performance benefits await you. And I think that's pretty cool. I've had a client recently who... And a lot of your listeners will be familiar with math methods, so I can use exact examples here. 
they um, came to me and their math pace over a 6K test was 7.35 per kilometre. Mm-hmm. In four weeks, they went down to 6.20. Yeah, right. That's so cool. They'd just done a four-week gut protocol before that as well and have no doubt that that made a huge impact. Mm-hmm. And what we were doing was string out intensity, bringing in wellness and rejuvenation practices, legs up the wall, mindfulness, breathing, what, you know, learning to breathe properly while training is crucial. Learning to breathe while pregnant and talking is also <laughs> crucial. Yeah, not sounding like you've been smoking a packet of cigarettes. <laughs> oh, God, it's been, it's been so interesting. Anyway, <laughs> um, yes, I would just encourage that because you – and that athlete is not um, – at a stage of life when they're think, where they're thinking about fertility, but we still needed to focus on balancing hormones and look at the performance effect. And I think that's Absolutely. the main. And, and it, it is just a bit sort of a picking apart the. Um, it is fertility whether you're wanting to have a baby. Yeah, or not. correct. That's right. And- fertility is optimal health. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I love that. So, yeah. so cool. And yeah, obviously the training is a huge part of it as well. Yes. And then in terms of what's up next for me, other than um, growing a baby, uh, between now and baby being born, I'll finish my postgrad studies, which is exciting. Okay. Very cool. Um, really good motivator to get that done. And uh, on our last podcast, I spoke about the rejuvenation protocol. So that's an ebook that I wrote earlier this year that I encourage everyone to get jump on. So if what we've spoken about today resonates, then the rejuvenation protocol is a great way to implement wellness practices into your life uh, and match them to your life slash training intensity and personalise a bit of a recovery protocol. So that's been happening and, yeah, lots of good stuff. Yes, yeah, so good. So excited. Um, definitely check out the rejuvenation protocol. I love how practical it is and a really great plan to follow to implement some of these in- essential lifestyle strategies that we all hear about, but somehow don't make time for. So yeah, knowledge right. is one thing, but the ap- application is where the results come from. So I'll put a link in the show notes for those that haven't um, seen the rejuvenation protocol yet. Encourage you to check it out. Thank you. Thank you Katie. We look, forward, look forward to following your journey and thanks for being um, yeah, so passionate about the topic and willing to share your personal journey as I know that's where everyone learns so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real. The 2019 Wellness Summit is almost here. I love being at these events. They're always such a great, positive environment. It's been really great to um, listen to like-minded people and to um, meet a few people, actually. I've been to every summit and I've been to every one and I'll always keep coming. It's always inspiring. It's been a real eye-opener. We're actually signed up to go to the breakthrough now. It's very motivating. I think it's great to listen to people who are inspired. 
that there's always something to learn and something to take away. I think uh, for myself and giving myself that um, opportunity to, to learn. There's so much going on in life and everything that you can get distracted and forget the things that you should be doing. This always reminds you to get back on track and, and um, to focus on the things that are important and holistic help. Just do it, yeah. Just yeah, suck it up and do it. It's uh, it could be life changing, yeah. I would say it's awesome, and it's the start of changing your life. Come along, see what it's about, and enjoy it. It's an amazing event with like-minded, positive people, and you can't help but um, walk away feeling great. Positive Mentor presents the 2019 Wellness Summit, August 17 and 18 in Melbourne. Can you afford to miss out? Tickets at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.